I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to another episode of A Winning Mindset, Lessons from the Paralympics, brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing partner, Allianz. Together, our aim is that these podcasts can help you in your own personal and professional life. You'll be introduced to people who can inspire and change the way you think with their stories of facing life's challenges, often helped by having the right team behind them. Please do subscribe and listen to my previous conversations with Hollywood actor RJ Mitty and Paralympic stars such as Bruno Bosniak and Tatiana McFadden. My guest in this episode is a daredevil. Ali Velazquez was a top mountain biker before a crash which paralysed him, but he refused to leave the mountains or thrill-seeking behind and took up the even more dangerous sport of sit-skiing, becoming Mexico's second-ever winter Paralympian. He's also started a baking empire, which will make you feel hungry, and you may hear his neighbour's dog occasionally in the background too. But let's get Ali on now. So Ali, before we get into sport and your daredevil life, I, I read that during this pandemic you've been baking bread and selling it to your community. Tell me about that. Uh, it's been really nice because it, it suddenly it's a sourdough bread with organic flour and and it's also vegan. All right. It okay. has no no uh, only plant based ingredients. So. Um, it, ha- it definitely for sh- it definitely have happened a a, a boom lately <laughs> is this something completely new for you or do you have a kind of heritage in your family of baking no 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 this is totally new <laughs> and what's your role then are you literally there kneading the kneading the dough and, and making it yourself or are you the kind of uh, the brains behind the operation well i have i have had to do everything but wow. Uh, for sure, like the, I took a, a, a course last year, and then I guess it's natural for an athlete to just have take something and take it to the last uh, <laughs> and to the deepest, and and always looking for better performance. And you and you say obviously about an athlete wanting to take something and 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 sort of make it perfect or make it as as good as you possibly can. Are there? Are there other aspects of your sporting career that have been useful in this in this other business? But I have to say that the, the skill that I have feel that it has helped me the most is the discipline. A baker, you have to uh, wake up super early, <laughs> and that's something that I am used to. So to pick to take the first lift up the mountain and start training very early morning, it's pretty much uh, similar and. Uh, and I think uh, just being willing to do it day after day after day after day, it's key for success in either one of them. <laughs> well, there couldn't be a much bigger contrast between baking and, and what we're going to talk to you about, which is predominantly danger and, and managing risk. You moved from mountain biking to sit skiing now. What are your reflections on your mountain biking career, first of all? Because you were, you were really at the, at the top of the tree in that sport as well, weren't you? I was lucky to always be very connected to a bicycle in my life. And then when I was uh, 10 years old, I, I switched it to the mountains. Uh, and then I started doing mountain bike downhill. And a couple of years later, I was already national champion in my, in my category. Well, actually not in my category because I should have been in, in kids category, but I was in, in the juvenile 
which it takes me, it takes people from 15 to 19 usually. And I was 12 and I was already winning national, nationally. Uh, for being such a young guy, I was doing very, very well. But at the same time, I guess that there was a lot of things that I didn't take in count. One of the things was equipment at the time. And um, yep, definitely that was a problem. For people who don't know, Ali, tell us what happened in 2001 to, to bring your mountain biking career to an end. So I was getting prepared for, uh, for a race. One weekend before I broke my bike and one friend told me that I could use his bicycle, that it was built with very good uh, accessories, but it was very, very heavy. And I was just 13 years old. I was 50 kilos and, and this guy... Uh, he was like 80 kilograms. So it was things that I didn't took in count. The very next weekend on the Saturday, I was training. I went through the same jump that I broke my bike the weekend before. And uh, suddenly the bicycle kind of shots me to the ground. I landed on my head uh, with the bicycle on top of me. So it was an extra weight. And I just, uh, I pretty much cracked my back with the pressure of the jump, the bike, and me falling with the gravity on the ground. Uh, I stayed in the mountain, filling my legs and everything for 45 minutes, and then the paramedics came and they checked me out. They didn't find anything bad, anything wrong, anything broken. And they told me to sit down and they helped me out, pulling me from the, uh, from the arms. And that is where I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not feeling not, not good at all. And they were like, okay, lay down again. So when I went back to my back, that's where I felt like the crack on it. And right away I stopped feeling my legs. So that was, uh, that was the, the, the moment that I enter in this world of, of, uh, disability. And during that, lengthy recovery you know a number of years you know going through physical and and mental rehabilitation were you immediately missing the adrenaline and the risk of of that sport that you had loved i guess that it was a different kind of rush what i was feeling uh, in order to gain back it was not a mellow transition it was uh it was very like a lot of work. The very first uh, sports that I uh, I went through was basketball in wheel, wheelchair basketball, and uh, for example, just to be able to be in a wheelchair that it was a little faster than the one that I use regularly, and the the turns were like super sharp, and I was uh, fighting with other athletes in order to, to get the ball and that. That adrenaline definitely kind of uh, put me in a different mindset that I was missing for sure. It was sports was therapeutic. Part of uh, my recovery, my psychological recovery in order to feel kind of useful and with freedom again. But to be honest, it was like, okay, coming from mountain bike downhill with drops and roots and jumps. And I felt like a little like trapped. This is not what I'm used to. But definitely, I guess that I, what I was missing the most was to feel free, you know, and that's something that I find very often in the sports or where even if I'm just riding my bicycle in a Sunday with 
my dog or whatever, with my family or friends. Uh, I feel that freedom. And I guess that that freedom was something that I was not feeling yet. Uh, tell us the, the story of how you found sit skiing or, or mono skiing, as it's described in some countries. You, I, I believe it was New Year's Day 2009. And, and this is a brilliant tale. And so in 2008, I was doing musical events. And because of this, I, I earned some money that I was able to put uh, in a holiday that I pay for myself to go to Canada and finally being like in the snow and all this and the cold and la la la. And then it was like the very last days I was about to go back to Mexico and suddenly I, it, it crossed to my mind. I, I think at some point of my life, I saw something of monoski or sit ski that it's kind of similar to mountain bike downhill but but in the snow so if i'm here maybe i can find a place that i can do it and i start calling the ski resorts around and then i was able to find one place that i could try it and for sure the first time that you do it it's not even that you really do it it's just that they are taking you down the mountain in a bicycle that you don't... I, now, looking backwards, I, I don't feel that I even control. <laughs> but but it definitely give, gave me the, the, the feeling that I could get out of that sport, beginning with the surround of natural environment around me and just trees and these views from the mountains that I have been missing so much. It just gave me the, 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 the reasons to go back to Mexico, sell all my stuff, get the money that I have earned from, from the musical events uh, from last year, uh, sold my car, and pretty much uh, flew to the border. I bought a very old uh, SUV. It was very expensive to have a GPS back in the day. So I, it was just with my, you know, my sheets of uh, uh, directions in order to <laughs> yeah. drive 14 hours from the border until Park City. And that's how my, my career started. They asked me if I was, if I knew already how to sit ski and I was like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> so, but I did it once. It's, it's like, it's like something you would see on a film, isn't it? We, we, somebody falls in love with something or somebody, but in, in your case, you fell in love with a sport and you just literally, as you say, you, you left, you, you packed up your entire life. And I'm thinking about virtually the whole world this year has probably felt trapped and I think everybody listening will understand that sense of freedom you talked about. It's very rare, but there are moments in your life where your feeling, your gut tells you that you are in the right place, that you are doing the right thing, and that it's something that you, you want to just keep doing in your life. That's what I felt for the first time I, like, I, I was in that place in, in, a, in, in a sport that I right away I I, I, mean, I see the potential. I knew that I as as long as I was able to to master that sport, I was going to feel back the freedom that I used to feel when I was in in the bicycle. So, yeah, that I wanted to invest all my energy, all my attention, all my resources, all my life, my time, my my skills in order to master that sport and take it to the highest level that I could. 
I mean, you went from mountain biking to sit skiing and, and I completely understand why from the things you've said that you didn't choose a an easier sport or a safer sport. But was there any consideration at all in your mind for the risk that you were taking in moving to another sport where injuries are quite commonplace and, and serious injuries at that? Not for me, but my mother. <laughs> she told me that I, she, well, in her words, it was, Arlie, I cannot let you go. My intuitions tell me that I don't want to leave or... Uh, I don't want to leave exactly something that we already lived. It was very hard for the whole family that you had us, uh, an accident that put you in with a disability. And uh, I don't want to go through that again. But for me, it was something makes sense. And I was not willing to, to let that go, you know. Uh, just because of fear, I was not ready to live my dream uh, just because of uh, something that I left lived in the past and that it was definitely a situation that it could happen again. But I don't know, there was a very strong force pulling me and just being giving me certainty that that was the path that I wanted to go. Do you think there's a possibility that you actually became more... Um... I don't want to say reckless, but maybe more carefree and less concerned about the danger of this sport because you were already paralyzed. With the disability that I already have, I face a lot of limitations. (laughs) So the last thing that I want is to be even more limited than what I'm already for some ways. It's I know limitations are always in your head, but but in one way or another, you do need your physical abilities in order to, for example, travel with six bags and your monoski and your wheelchair and this on an airplane airport to another country, right? Mm. So just the fact that, I don't know, for example, if I break a shoulder, that it uh, luckily it never happened in 12 years, uh, I know that I'm going to be facing uh, even harder situation for myself. So it's a very thin line, the limit. I always try to be within the limit. And of course, I have had so many crashes. But, you know, one of the things that I have worked hard is in to be like as strong as I possibly can in order to hold the the crashes that that's kind of a normal thing that we face in in this sport but at the same time for example i try i try to avoid the jumps you know like it is speed or if it's a jump or if it's a steepness of a mountain i have i i think i have been calculating the risk all the time in order to be safe because i i have been always looking into the progress baby steps going a little bigger a little bigger how do you calculate the risk though well um of course we are in a sport that it's with a lot of variables all the time it's it's very hard to be calculating but the only thing that you can do is lots of hours of training to try different things and yeah like in sochi i had a very very hard crash 
Yes, Ali, if you don't mind, let's relive that crash now. So, Ali Velasquez of Mexico didn't finish either of the two training runs here. He's aiming to finish in the top 15. Oh, and he's not... Oh, no, 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 no. Another, another big, big crash. Oh, dear. As he's flipped down the piece. You can absolutely hear the, the fear and the concern in the commentator's voice there as he's watching you just topple down the mountain, head over heels, just tumbling, tumbling. How do you begin to recover from a crash like that, both physically and mentally? Well, I went through a, a very hard surgery after the crash of Sochi. I didn't notice at the time, but then um, but then uh, later on in the summer, I had to go through surgery because of that crash. Once I went back from that, I realized that there there was a lot of people being touched by just my journey and the things that I uh, decided to achieve and that in a way I have been achieving little by little. And there was people who kind of support me back on, uh, back me up with uh, with with this journey. And yeah, I definitely feel lonely a lot of times, but how, how did I find the motivation? I guess that the sport is so fulfilling just by the fact of doing it that I guess that in a way it heals. It's therapeutic to be up there in the mountain, in the top of the mountain to see that view to be in early morning, maybe to see a sunrise up there and to be also challenging you, your fears, uh, uh, your physical capacities. Ali, are you, are you addicted to danger? Are you addicted to thrill-seeking? Is that what keeps you coming back? I guess that in a way I am, but I don't see it as risk i see that when i am in the mountain and i have a sit ski on i'm on, on a sit ski i just feel the most free and you go the, down the mountain in a perfect day with a groom with a very nice condition of snow man to be that feel of freedom i cannot find another place that i can find that hmm. You are not using a motor, you're using the gravity and a tool that are creating massive speed, but in a controlled way. And I think to bet that feeling is just very hard. I don't know, maybe, maybe that was something that I was also feeling in downhill mountain bike. And once you feel it in another place, but I can still do it, it's like, it, it could be addictive, I guess. Is there anything actually that genuinely does scare you? Is there something either in sport or away from sport that you would look at and go, actually, do you know what? I calculate that risk as being too much. We face fear very often. Well, at least me, maybe not my friends racers, but <laughs> but me when I'm in, like I remember right now, I was in Austria and it was such an intimidating a threatening mountain because it was so steep and the condition of the of the snow it was so icy i mean that's curse but you are there you have to do it you have to perform you so you have to just 
make it happen. <laughs> you have to get action regardless you are like super scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess that once you are up there, you know, like maybe things that might scare you, like, yeah, like invest a lot of your, your resources into a dream or something like that. You take perspective and it's like, even if it doesn't work the way you plan it or you dream it, it, it cannot be so bad because we have learned with, I, I guess, with the, the accident, with the disability, with sport, that even if bad things happen, there's always a way to reverse that and to just achieve whatever you dream. Do you have a do you have a risky attitude to other aspects of your life, or are you actually quite a cautious, safe person when you're not on a mountain? No, I think I, ha I, I have that attitude for everything. <laughs> it's just a matter of, uh, of intuition. I, I, I think I have developed, thankfully, because of uh, taking decisions that I had no idea. Like, for example, that day that I took all my, that I sold all my stuff and I start my journey for seed skiing, I had no idea of how it was going to end up. So uh, for me, it was a matter of, does it feels right or not? And since it was the, f the thing that it feel, felt right at the moment, and then it gave me a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, experiences that I feel very, very happy, grateful, and proud of them. Now, it also comes to in, in other parts of my life that I feel that it's the way that I have to go. If there are people listening who are maybe feeling fearful about making a big step in their life, what, what advice would you give them? Ah, uh, to, feel, to feel fear is normal. It's very, very normal. We usually feel fear to whatever we don't know, to the unknown. And that's something that I felt. And at one time I heard, it, does it feel like fear or does it feel like emotion? Because sometimes you can also get confused within the two emotions. And I have to say that there's nothing greater that you can have to be motivated in order to achieve big things than having emotion, to be excited about something. And there's a lot of times that you have to act even if you feel fear about something, because there's a lot of, a, a lot of things that you can find that will be so that you will be so grateful about that will give you so much knowledge about something once you just decide to step on and go uh, regardless if you feel fear and even if that big thing that you want to achieve and it doesn't happen just by the fact that you act even you you have fear about something the person that you are now, just by the fact that you act in that moment, is a better person than you were before. So either way, you will win. Uh, just one more question on, on danger, Ali. Uh, this will be a, a test for you. Uh, I know you have a sister, you have a young nephew, uh, Hieronimo. Um, if Hieronimo came to you and said uh, he was going to be a skier, would you pass on your attitude 
to Hieronimo to say, yep, go out and, and try it? Or would you be like your own mother was and and feel a bit a bit worried and a bit anxious about it? I think I would be like my mentor, my one of the most important people in my career. It's Eric Bindirli. I would be more like him, I guess, because what 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 I found with him was a lot of preparation. We built together our own carbon fiber. He told he taught me all what he knew about uh, how to tune a ski. Pretty much, he gave he gave me all his knowledge and the study of the sport and build and adaptation and how to adapt the monoski. Once you are so connected to your equipment, you definitely low a lot of risk in the equation. <laughs> so if Hero asks me, I, I would like to be that Eric for him, you know? I would like to be that that person that just gives him a lot of time, that uh, analyzes the sport, uh, analyzes the way to get better performance and yeah, and to put that in the equation in order to lower the risk and improve the performance. And yeah, because the last thing that I want to see is, is uh, Hero having a, a, a bad journey in anything that he decided, you know? Well, Ali, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And if, if, I'm, ever, if I'm ever in Mexico, if I'm ever in Mexico City, then I'll come by and uh, visit your bakery. And I've, I've got a bit of a sweet tooth, so I think I would order something more like a pastry or something, if that's okay. Absolutely. We actually have that pastry side that is uh, it's actually all the time, every single time. And uh, from, from the seasons, we have different breads. So I'm pretty sure you will like that as well. And yeah, whenever you want and you're in Mexico, please let me know. And, and mm -hmm. I will be super happy to show you around. I really like to show the people my country and to do it in a bicycle. I, I don't think there's a very way to, to show, to do a city tour here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Ali. It's been, it's been great fun. Well, not many athletes could carry off sit skiing, danger, speed, risk, and then also talk about baking pastries with such charisma. But that's Mexican Ali Velazquez. I absolutely love chatting with him. And you can hear from more charismatic Paralympians if you subscribe to this podcast and listen to earlier episodes with the likes of Todd Hodgetts, Grace Wembalua and Ellen Keane. Next week, I speak to one of the Paralympic movement's biggest superstars, the blade jumper Marcus Rem, whose biggest jumps would have won Olympic titles, let alone Paralympic ones. He talks about breaking barriers, setting ambitious goals and his day job as a prosthetist where he brings all of his experience from elite athletics into the lives of ordinary people with limb impairments. Speak then.